you wanted the best, you've got the best podcast. The hottest, hottest. podcast in the world. In the world. The Chris Voss Show, the preeminent podcast with guests so smart you may experience serious brain bleed. Get ready, get ready. Strap yourself in. Keep your hands, arms, and legs inside the vehicle at all times because you're about to go on a monster education roller coaster with your brain. Now, here's your host, Chris Voss. Hi, folks. This is Voss here from thechrisvossshow.com, thechrisvossshow.com. Hey, we're coming here with another great podcast. We certainly, certainly, certainly appreciate you guys tuning in. Be sure to give us a like, subscribe to us. Go to YouTube if you want to watch the YouTube version of this uh, show, uh, youtube.com, fortunate Chris Voss, hit the bell notification button. Also, uh, Refer the show to your friends, neighbors, relatives. Go to the ECBPN or Chris Voss Podcast Network. You can subscribe to all nine podcasts over there, and you can check it out as well. Uh, go to Goodreads at goodreads.com. For us, Chris Voss. we got a book club we're working on over there. You can sign up and uh, do all the different things we're doing, giving away some books, talking about some of the experiences we have with authors and everything else. Uh, the gentleman we have on today, you may have heard from, uh, he is Michael Elias. He was born and raised in upstate New York. He moved to New York City after graduating from St. John's College in Annapolis. He pursued a career in acting, and he was a member of the Living Theater and acted at the Judson Poets Theater, La Mama, and Cafe Chino. Uh, Elias uh, transitioned to Hollywood and wrote the screenplay for The Frisco Kid. Remember that one? A long partnership with Rich Estes, I'm not sure if I got that right. Together with the uh, him, he wrote Serial, Young Doctors in Love, and he created Head of the Class, uh, partially based on Elias's experience as a high school teacher from New York City. Elias also worked with Steve Martin. You may have heard of him as well. A collaboration that included material for Martin's comedy albums, network TV specials, and the screenplay for The Jerk. Everyone remembers that movie. That, that's just a classic. Elias uh, wrote and directed Showtime's Lush Life with Forrest Whitaker and Jeff Goldblum. It has become a jazz film classic. His semi-autographical play, The Catskill Sonata, ran in Los Angeles with the LA Weekly naming it one of the best 10 plays of the year. His first novel, The Last Conquistador, was about a lost Inca city. His most recent a thriller, You Can Go Home Now, was published by Harper Collins this spring. In fact, we just got the book, You Can Go Home Now, a novel by Michael Elias. Michael, welcome to the show. How are you? I am fine, thanks. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for coming on, and uh, give us your plugs. What dot coms maybe people uh, you want to have taken look you up at? Michael Elias, writer, dot com, uh, Facebook, and that's about it. I guess I'm. On, I think I'm on Twitter, but I, I hardly use it. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's it. Check out the book, guys. You can get it probably at Amazon, all sorts of local sellers. Uh, we have a Chris Voss show uh, thing on Amazon. You go to Amazon.com, forward slash shop, forward slash Chris Voss. See all the uh, books of all the great people who've been on the show. So, Michael, you've written on a, you've written a lot of different stuff, a lot of different formats. What motivated you want to write this book? Uh, well, this one, uh, I, I guess two things. I, I started thinking about revenge and where it fits in our society and how we we glorify it we love it it's the it's the uh it's in our culture it's so 
so much in our culture, you know, as I say, uh, there's no Clint Eastwood movie where he, uh, the bad guy goes to a trial. He usually gets thrown out the window. So that's what we love. But we're told it's not civilized. We're told it's not, the, it's not what we should be doing. But I wanted to write about, about that, about our fascination with it. So I created a story where there's a heroine who's bent on revenge. And at the same time, she's a cop. So, uh, and she's trying to solve the murder of her father, and she's also going to uh, take revenge when she finds him. So that was sort of the, that was the beginning. Uh, and, that, and then I needed, why was he killed? So uh, I borrowed, I took a story of a, an, um, a Planned Parenthood uh, doctor, uh, Bernard Sapien, who was murdered or was assassinated by uh, a, uh, an anti-abortion terrorist uh, in front of his kids while he was washing the dishes. And I took that story and made that her, uh, she's looking for the guy who killed her father. Wow. Put those two powerful. stories together. That was a powerful story. Do you do you have to get permission from anybody? To, like, well, no, because yeah. no, you no. play it in there. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's, I mean, it's that was a, a that was a hell of a story. Many, but I that's that's <laughs> what I did. So, um, yeah. So it examines that world. It examined and and it happened to her when she was sixteen. Mm. So it's indelible. And uh, sometimes she worries in the book. Sometimes she's worrying that her rage is ebbing. And she has to revive it and, with memory and stuff. So that's what it is. It's, and uh, I think it has a, it's, it moves pretty quickly. People tell me it's a thriller. Uh, it's got a lot of surprises. And it's, I'm not saying it's politics change, uh, but it shows uh, the other side of the story too. And uh, just one more thing, um, while she's looking for this guy who killed her father, she, as a cop, is trying to solve some unsolved murders, cold case murders, of men whose widows all have the same alibi. They were in a women's shelter when their husbands were killed. Mm -hmm. You just told she, me the first part of the book that I was yeah. reading. Yeah, so she goes undercover into the women's shelter, posing as abused wife, and to see what's going on. Ah, there you go. That's really interesting. The The book is a gripper. From the beginning, it grips you. Like, it starts out with some, uh, I won't blow the start for people, but it starts out with some stuff that's going on that you're just like, I got to find out more about what's going on here, because this is really interesting. And it kind of grips you. It's got some short chapters where you just get sucked right into it, and you're just like going, ah, I got to find out what's going on. I love cop thrillers, too. I like I'm a and especially when you get into the the cop and you get into his personal life and the the conflicts there like one of my favorite movies is heat and you know robert de niro and al pacino and al pacino you you kind of see not only is he a cop but he's doing all this stuff but you see his life falling apart and some of the other things and it seems like you know that's what what you've got going on here you've got you, you see the you see the the police officer trying to do stuff right, but then he's also he's got that dark side, or he's got she, you know. She, she. Sorry, yeah. she. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and that's uh, I wrote it in the voice of a woman, so that uh, and there's a lot of other cops in it too. But I wrote it in the voice of a woman, and that that was another really interesting thing for a male writer to do is write it write a woman, and uh, the question is. I guess for the reader to decide, did I get it right? Did I get her right? 
Yeah. In fact, I think there was a review that you had here that uh, somebody wrote that was really great. And they said, uh, Michael Elias writes woman like a woman, and he writes a police thriller like a former cop. That's from uh, Jessica Blau, the author of The Trouble with Lexi. So I thought that was a pretty good compliment. I'm not sure I could write like a woman if I really wanted to, uh, but so that's good. But no, it, it's very engaging, gets you into the thrill of it and, and stuff. What, what, uh, the, what was the um, overall thing that you learned writing the book, or was there anything that stuck out at you that, that, that's like your favorite part of the book? Hmm. A good question. Uh, well, there were a couple of things which are just uh, maybe tropes or whatever. Uh, could she commit the perfect crime uh, as a cop? Um, could she, and she finds out, I think it was interesting to find out and do research about women uh, who battered women who are hiding out. And, you know, right now in the middle, you know, in the, in the middle of the pandemic, there are more women uh, at home. They can't go to shelters. They can't get out. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and being in, you know, at home and not being able to go out with, with either, you know, an abusive spouse is is really tough and uh, the the uh, femicide and murders of beatings have gone up uh, exponentially uh, so that, it was interesting to explore and learn about that life I couldn't go into a shelter uh, because uh, you know they're not gonna let me in uh, men but I did do a lot of research and talk to talk to women of course and lawyers and stuff yeah Right now, we're kind of in the middle of that, too. Like you say, um, we've had a lot of people that are uh, authors writing about real life. um, And one of the problems is, like, the child abuse reports that used to take place because kids would go into school and say, my parents are beating me. That's not happening anymore because the kids aren't going to school. Right. Uh, A lot of domestic abuse. Um, I know all my – it's a wonder my – all my guy friends who are married are still alive, evidently, according to their wives. Uh, they always tell me, they go, after this corona thing is solved, there's going to be a lot of divorces. Yeah, you bet. <laughs> In fact, they should be probably not working. Mine, not mine, but there are. It's tough. I was going to ask you, you know, what what was their personal motivation on the revenge thing? I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I love cops uh, and cop sh- thrillers where, you know, you like to say you have that you have that uh, chi where you have the yin and yang and you have different things going on where where, you know, they're 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 just like human beings. They're not perfect. Like, you know, everyone yeah. thinks, well, they're authoritarian, so they must be perfect. And they have rules and training and, and stuff. But, you know, just like anyone else in the world, they're conflicted um, in in fleshing out the character. Um, what, 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 what did you, what did you, uh, feel was the, the strongest points of, of your hero? Hmm. Uh, she, she tends not to take crap from anybody. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> She's a and, feminist, right? Yeah. Yeah. And she never uses the word, uh, but she's, she's a tough cookie. Um, she doesn't, uh, at the same time, she's not, she's not Wonder Woman, you know, she's at one point she's faced, she's, you'll get to it in a kind of physical thing. Uh, and she just says like, I'm sorry, you know, I studied all the martial arts. I studied all this, but, uh, I'm five, two, 112, you're six, five. And I, it doesn't matter how much karate I have or whatever it is. So let's, let's see if we can work this out a different way. <laughs> <laughs> it's like yeah. the Indiana Jones scene with the guy with the whip where he just goes, I'm just 
going to shoot you because I don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I don't know if that's the way the scene Yeah, went. I knew a guy who was in my gym and he was a uh, Wing Chun uh, instructor, you know, and, and this, this weightlifter come over to him. It was, and again, he was like, you know, twice a football player. He was like 6'6", and he was 2'8", whatever he was. And he says, man, I'd like to learn that. And the guy looked at him and said, why? <laughs> <laughs> you don't need it. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> so was it, what, what pressed you to uh, come up with the title, You Can Go Home Now? What made you choose that? As the well, you're going to get to that part. Oh, okay. And so I'm going to save that. It's what, is, what they tell you. You can go home now in the women's shelter. Ah. Kind of like it's safe to go home. There you go. There you go. Suspense. The problem is all. It's you can go home now. Yeah. (laughs) And you know, it's an interesting thing because we, I mean, for me, uh, I I grew up on Thomas Wolfe who said, you wrote the, you know, you can't, you can, you can't go home again. Well, you can go home now is actually a very sweet sentence. And there's a lot of people who would like to hear that. You know, wives in the shelter, you can go home now. Maybe uh, uh, refugees who can say, you can say, okay, you can go home now. There's no more war in Syria. That's That would be a sweet thing to hear, wouldn't it? Yeah, it definitely would be. In fact, it reminds me of, uh, it reminds me of that, uh, oh, God, what was it? It was in the movie, the FBI movie with Sean Connery. And he said, it was right before he said, here ended the lesson. But he's like, your job is to go home at the end of the day. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> it was the uh, the Untouchables. I think it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. David Simon, I think. Yeah, a great movie. So you've had a story career. Was it was it kind of the coronavirus uh, that in shutdown of Hollywood that kind of motivated you want to put this book together? Or was this no? Uh, thing I, I, I finished. That? I finished this uh, before. Uh, it's I had a I had a pretty good career in Hollywood, and I was working and everything. And then all of a sudden, I. It was sort of like a friendly divorce uh, between uh, myself and television. Uh, so I had a lot of stories in me, and I decided the first one I had in me, which I really liked, was about a lost city of the ink, kind of an Indiana Jones, Michael Crichtonish thing. So I wrote that and uh, got it published, and I said, I like this, I like, and I like this life where I can just, uh, you know, do my stuff and end up and avoid, try to avoid writing for as long as I can during the day. And finally, I run out of things to do and I have to do it. So, uh, and my wife, I was really lucky because my wife got a job in Paris and uh, she she was nice enough to bring me along. And uh, she went to work in a cultural center, an American cultural center, and I stayed home and I wrote on the kitchen table. And that was that was great. So I, that's where I wrote this novel, uh, mm-hmm. and uh, it's going to be published in France uh, also in uh, in February. So I'm looking mm-hmm. forward to that. And yeah. the it mostly takes place in America, correct? Yeah, it all takes place in Queens and upstate New York, and uh, a couple and one trip to Hawaii. Uh, so yeah, yeah. I I grew up in upstate New York, as I said, in a tiny Catskill town, and I don't know. 1500 people and uh and so i used i stole a lot of my life uh, and a lot of my experiences and uh people friends come up and say hey that's my story you used in the book (laughs) that's right (laughs) we steal steal everything don't we change the names to uh protect the innocent or whatever the old dragnet thing yeah 
but uh, I mean, that's what you're right. You're, you're right what you know and, and what your life is. Uh, I like the line here. This is from the press thing. How far would you go to protect yourself and your children from domestic abuse at the hands of a husband, boyfriend, or partner? Um, the domestic abuse is, is, is pretty rough. I, I, I did some appeals of a, some speeding tickets in my BMW one time, and, and the appellate court put me into uh, domestic violence court. And since my last name is Voss, I was at the end of the docket. So I had to sit for like two hours and watch all these people that, that were on both ends of domestic violence. And it was extraordinary to watch. Yeah. Heartbreaking. I mean, it's heartbreaking. And if you're, uh, you know, if you're a kid, I mean, it's just, it's, it's terrible. And if if you're, if you're the woman, by the way, uh, domestic abuse is exactly the same statistically in uh in gay couples as it is in straight couples and yeah. yeah interesting human nature problem we have with the with the nature of humans do you see uh yourself uh when if when if we ever get this coronavirus thing taken care of um do you see yourself going back and writing for tv or film or or yeah. this this could be Converted into film. Yeah, yeah. There are people looking at it now. You know, uh, some producers, and uh, I think uh, I don't think I want to go back into television. I, if I I have projects still, and I have, and every writer who's been, you know, you have stuff in your drawer. So there's a couple of things I'd like to, you know, uh, bring them out and freshen them up. And and but screenplays, I have some screen. Mm-hmm. I like to do, and I'm interested in a lot of different things. I'm science fiction, uh, uh, crime, noir, all that stuff. So I, you know, I. Uh, it's funny. I have a I have a screenplay that actually takes place in a uh, in a, uh, in a pandemic, uh, and uh, I'll bring I'll, I'll I'll get that out and and, and you know as I said, uh, freshen it up. You know, I love film film noir. I'm, yeah. I'm just a, I'm a big bogey fan from back in the day. Oh. Like I just love black and white, old black and white film noir. Yeah, I do too. It's great. Yeah, it's great. So yeah. what's your favorite medium, would you say? For, I mean, you've written for just about everything. What's your favorite medium that you like the most? Well, it's, it's an interesting thing. I, I, Judge, um, television is actually the writer's medium in the sense that, I mean, uh, you the you become the power. So like everybody remember, everybody knows David Simon uh, and everybody, you know, who did uh, uh, the, uh, the wire or, or uh, uh, the guys who uh, uh, Noah Hawley and Fargo, people don't remember the directors, but in the movies, the director is the king. Mm-hmm. So you turn, you write a screenplay, the director takes it and do whatever he wants. You're producing you're the showrunner of a TV sh- show. Uh, director just wants to come back next week. I mean, there are great directors. I'm not saying there aren't, but it's the writer who has the real control. So that's one advantage about, I mean, one of the things that I always liked about writing in television, uh, writing in film is, is, is great too, but you're more at the mercy of, as I said, uh, directors, stars. I don't think that line suits me. I'd like to change it. Well, you know, Brad, it's, you know, and guess what? Uh, and I don't mean him particularly because he's, yeah. he's a pretty good guy, but that, but it does happen. And, yeah. uh, and if you say, I don't, you know, to a director, uh, I don't like what you did. You get your ass uh, kicked and you're out of here. Security, 
Call security. <laughs> I, 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 I guess I understand what you're saying. That would mess you up. I mean, you've, you've put in all this work to write these beautiful lines and some actors like, eh, I don't know, man. It's yeah. not working. And even when I was, you know, I was directing <laughs> Jeff Goldblum, he says, uh, I said, you changed the line, man. He said, yeah, I thought it sounded better this way. I said, look, if just say the line the way I wrote it, and if I don't think it works, I'll change it. I'll be the first one to change it because my name is still going to be said. You know, it's still going to say written by Michael Elias, but you got to let me hear it first. That was always my rule. And, yeah. Uh, anyway, but it's, you know, it's, uh, and some directors and some producers are more collaborative than others, and some are, you know. So, and, but I, and I also like, I do like writing the novel, but it's, it's hard because it's a singular, uh, most, uh, you know, television writing. You do it with somebody else. You have a partner. Uh, you have a collaborator. Uh, and I've had some great ones. Uh, so uh, I could say, uh, I got to, you know, I, I don't know. I got to go to the drugstore. Would you finish this scene? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> you know, this, or I can't think of anything. Well, I can. Or you, you, you try stuff. And it's, it's really important, of course, in comedy because you need somebody to either laugh or not laugh. Mm -hmm. and, uh, if they don't laugh, you know, well, let's find a third way. So and that, the timing's important, too. So yeah, yeah. otherwise, it's, you know, I've seen comedy where the timing's off and you're just like, yeah, that's not working for you. Like, no. sometimes I'll see shows and I'm just like, was this supposed to be a comedy? The timing was off, or is this really not a comedy? And I'm just not getting it. Like so far, it's caught in the middle. So maybe the issue is 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 like since you're a writer, and if when you direct, uh, I don't maybe I don't know what the statistic is, but maybe many directors don't write, and so that just makes it more personal since you wrote it when you're trying to direct people for it. Yeah, every once in a while. I mean, writers. If you're in film, I think you eventually, you want to direct. Mm -hmm. You want to have control of your material. Uh, it's your story, and uh, you want to do that. So, like, Aaron Sorkin is directing, and David Mamet directed, and uh, Bob Town directed. So all these writers, uh, eventually, they they want to direct because they have the control of the material. Now, sometimes it's, it, it doesn't mean it's going to be a really good movie. Because sometimes the worst thing you can have is somebody who doesn't say no to you. Mm. And that's, that's no good because you need breaks, especially you need, and uh, because otherwise, and, and, and also what happens when actors direct is they get so in love with the performances that they lose the story. Uh. Uh, and that, that happened to John Malkovich a couple of times where he directed and it just, it didn't. It didn't move because he just was so focused on, on the actor was getting this great performance and all this stuff. But it, you gotta, you have to have a, a real eye or a feeling for the story. So um, it's always good to have a no man uh, or no woman around who can say, you know, I think you should cut the scene. You should edit this. Can't force you to do it if you're the director, but you, it's it's really important. And sometimes when you see a movie, you can say, you know, I think the director had too much control. Wow. So that's kind of interesting. I never thought about that. But as a director, you can watch the movie and you can see the 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 interplay, or you can see the different formats there. Huh? 
scene is going on too long, man. Get out. He's <laughs> <laughs> in there with your timer in the audience at the theater going, yeah, the scene's gone on way too long. Well, there worked, uh, Billy Wilder used to direct with a stopwatch. Really? Yeah. He said wow. it was very good. Cut five seconds. Mm-hmm. You know, so <laughs> everybody has their own way. Everyone can put it in there. Uh, you directed and wrote Lush Life uh, with Showtime's uh, Lush Life with Forrest Whitaker and Jeff Goldblum. Like, Jeff Goldblum has such delivery that I can see him screwing with lines. Yeah. 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 The first mm. argument was, it's about a saxophone player. I don't care anymore. The first, I mean, I love him. He's, he's a good guy. But the first argument was, it's about a, it's about a saxophone player. And in real life, Jeff Goldblum is a piano player. He's a really good one. He said, so, you know, first thing he says, so I'd like to uh, play piano instead of saxophone. I said, no, I didn't write a, I didn't write a piano player. I wrote a saxophone player. Said, that was the first one. The other one. And he's a funny, if you, I've been looking at some commercials, you know, this is my, I can only do my, my Jeff Goldblum impression because he's always pointing. He's always doing this, you know? Uh And uh, I said at the time when we made this movie, I said, listen, you're a jazz musician. You're cool, right? You're a hip guy. You don't point. That's Woody Allen. You don't stutter, right? That's Blue Crystal. You're a t- you're six five, man, and he is right. And you know most yeah, people. Tall. So I don't want you pointing. I don't want you shrugging. I just want you to be cool. And and so sometimes, I mean, what well, not sometimes? A couple times I had to run out and put my arms around him and said, "Don't, <laughs> don't point." You <laughs> so. Forrest Whitaker is a hell of an actor. That uh, uh, the one movie that. I just really loved of his. Of course, I think he won an Oscar for it, the one where he plays the South African general, I think it is. Oh, no, he played Idi Amin. Yeah. Idi Amin in, uh, what was it called? But that's right. Yeah, it was a hell of a performance. It was great. It was like the, it was like made for him. Like that was that you're like wow that was your movie that you're made for uh you work with a lot of other great actors what was it like working with steven martin steve martin martin was uh well steve martin and i uh, we met on a uh on a tv show a little tv show called do you remember pat paulson the name pat rings paulson, a bell pat paulson was on the smothers brothers you're, you're too yeah yeah smothers okay, brothers anyway he was he was a really <laughs> funny guy and he, even ran for president at one point. Pat Paulson had a show called the Pat Paulson Half a Comedy Hour. And Steve and I were both writers on it. And we met and became friends. And he said he was just starting his career as a comedian. And he said, I'm not going to do this much longer. I'm going to be a comedian. And I said, well, I, you know, you're really funny. And I said, can I write for you? He said, yeah, sure. And uh, we started writing material together for him. And uh, that led to, uh, I guess it led to The Jerk and uh, a long friendship. And uh, he's fantastic. So writing with him, uh, I, I actually didn't, and this is, again, going back to this, this notion of collaboration. I didn't actually say, okay, Steve, here's a joke. Okay, Steve, here's a sketch. Here's a bit. Uh, I would, he had a house in Aspen. Uh, and I would go up and I would spend the weekend and we would just walk around and, uh, and, and, and with a pad, you know, one of us, me, we had a pad and we would think of funny bits and we'd write them down and they would do them. Uh, so that was that. Yeah. 
the movie part of the jerk that I you know when you you know whenever you're watching cable or TV you always go to the same part in a movie for some reason whenever oh, yeah. you turn it on, yeah. and I always go to the shooting part where the guy is shooting him at the gas station. Oh, yeah, and he's like, "This guy really hates the cans." That's right, the cans. He's shooting the cans. It's the cans. He yeah, hates yeah. the cans. Yeah, yeah that's the greatest scene ever. It feeds into that. I think that car chase where they're all going like five miles an hour. <laughs> And I don't know what it is. Every time I come across a jerk, it's that bloody scene. And you're just like, what? Is there some sort of karma in the world? To watch this scene over and over again. But it is such a great scene. You can't. It, the gas station. And I forget who plays uh, the gas station. Jackie Mason. And yeah, Jackie Mason's so great. And he's just like, yeah, whatever. And he's like, I got to get out of here. And he's driving the car. The movie. And when he gets the phone book, he's my name is in the yeah, phone book. The and, phone and he book. goes the bathroom, which is you can live here. He says, Oh my god, this is incredible. I can have a flow through here in a minute. And uh the, the guy at the urinal looks turns around and looks at that was David Picker, he was the producer. Uh but so much you know, a lot of that stuff. I mean uh, um Steve and I wrote the screenplay, there's no I mean we did, but I tell you, Carl Reiner, late the late Carl Reiner and uh and Steve, so much of that comedy is, the physical comedy is, so much of it is Carl Reiner. And there are moments in that picture where somebody answered, who wrote that scene? I said, nobody, man. That was just Steve Martin turning it on. Wow, you know, man. He, when he leaves and he says, I don't need this and I don't need that. Well, I do need this. And he ta- he's in his, his pants are around his ankles and he he's leaving the house. And he says, well, I'll just take this. That was all. That was like roll him, and he just made all that shit up. I mean, I'm sorry, that was really good. No, you're fine. The the uh, yeah, I mean, he was so classic. I mean, there was speed. Bill, don't remember. Like we were talking pre-show, uh, my first experience with Steve Martin uh, in listening to him was the was the I think it was the Wild and Crazy. He he had the bit, you know, the Wild and Crazy, and uh, he had the arrow going through the head with the thing, and I was just like, what? And I, King Tut, I think, was on that album, or we had the album that had King Tut on it. I was just like, what the hell is this going on? And it was it was just hilarious. In fact, I was kind of bummed out when he went from being a comedian to start doing, you know, the serious films. I think what was it, Ellie's Story? I'm like, yeah. I went with a comedian back. I mean, he was great in it, but yeah. you know, I said to him once, I said, you know, you can write novels, you can write plays, you can write do serious movies, but but when you die, they're still going to put Here Lies the Jerk on your. <laughs> Yeah, that's probably true. He, he didn't like it, but he agreed. <laughs> <laughs> well, that explains why I always see it on cable at the same time. I mean, I I don't I haven't come across the LA story for a long time. Since yeah, that's right. It came out. The thing about that movie that I'm really I like is that a lot of people have come up to me and said, you know, this is like the first movie or whatever that I could watch with my parents. <laughs> and one guy said to him, you know, my mother said, you got to watch this movie with me. And I realized my mother has a sense of humor. I never got, knew that before. <laughs> so it's, uh, it's, a, it's a real family kind of rite of passage. Come on, son. We're going to watch The Jerk and you're going to hear uh, you know, re- the, his mother uh, reading the letter, you know. Uh, yeah. Anyway. All right. Or what a guy, man. Yeah. Physical comedy is hard to do. Like everyone thinks it's easy. It's not if you really understand it. No. No, and another great uh, physical comedy guy was uh, Gary Marshall. Mm. And if you have have a chance, 
Uh, look at uh, Young Doctors in Love, and there are some of the best physical gags you'll ever see. Yeah. And I think that's what movies are... I mean, I'm not saying the best at, but that's one of the things we love about movies because you can't you can't do physical gags in a book. You can't do them in a on on stage so much, but you can do uh, in the movie. You know, we love Buster Keaton, we love uh, Chaplin because uh, those yeah. those gags are incredible. You know, Buster Keaton standing in front of the house, remember, and the house falls down and he goes through the window. <laughs> it just falls right down on him. <laughs> I love the Three Stooges. I grew up on the Three Stooges. Uh, uh, Chaplin, and then uh, who else am I thinking? Laurel and Hardy were kind of yeah. that way. Yeah. yeah, that was. I'm old. You and I might be the same age. Well, we could sit. No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, anyway, what was it? What was what? it like working with? Uh, oh, is my favorite Gene Wilder and the Frisco Kid, and of course Harrison Ford in his early career. Uh, well, hey, you're not supposed to say anything bad about the dead, but. Gene was a tough, a tough and difficult guy. In truth. Really? Yeah, he had that sweet demeanor. You know, he looked at you and he just had those beautiful blue eyes. But underneath that was a kind of uh, tantramatic, occasionally tantramatic, yelling, screaming child wow. uh, would lose his temper and freak out. And uh, it was manageable because I had grown up with people like that. And uh, he was great in the role. But we had some big fights about that movie, um, and so did the director, Robert Aldrich, who was a strange choice for it, because Aldrich, I don't know, he was one of the tough noir directors, uh, and he also directed, uh, what's that great one, with the two women, uh, Whatever Happened to Baby Jane, and war movies, uh, he was a tough guy. So he and, he and Wilder sometimes uh, cross swords, but Wilder was a star. Um, but he was a pretty formidable guy, uh, 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 Aldrich. So, but Harrison, I loved Harrison. Still do, Ford. And uh, I don't know. Harrison was just becoming a big star, but he wasn't as big a star as Gene. But he went on to become this monster star. And... Uh, Gene, you know, did his movies, Mel Brooks movies and stuff. But I'm, I'm maybe I'm not being clear about this. But I, it's, I don't think that um, Gene got what the Frisco Kid was really about, and he kept trying to make it into a movie that he thought it was, but it wasn't, and it shows. So mm. I'm still proud of it. I love a lot of it. But there are moments where I say, ah, Gene won this argument. He should have. So that's I've gone back to that thing when I was telling you about, you know, yeah. the director versus the star, the writer. It's all, all that stuff. I'm going to have to go back and watch that to, to get that again. But, yeah, it wasn't a movie that really stuck out, out to me. Yeah. And maybe that's I, why. I can, I, I, can, I can introduce, go to any synagogue in America and say, I wrote The Frisco Kid. And they will say, "Come in and what do you, you know? Have dinner or whatever it is. It is the, like it's the number one uh, movie for uh, young Jewish kids or whatever. They they love that movie and uh, uh, because it tells us it, it's it's a story about a rabbi who comes to America, and makes his way across the country, and growing up, I never saw Jews in movies, mm -hmm. cowboy cowboy movies. They didn't exist. 
truth of the matter is Jews settled the Old West just as much as anybody else did. And there's some great stories. So this was, that's what it was. Um, yeah. Made a contribution as it were. Okay. And then you did the head of class, a series for ABC. I mean, that's yeah. something everyone's seen. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that was, uh, it was a lot of fun. Uh, Howard Hessman uh, for four years. Then our fifth year, we had this uh, Scottish comedian, Billy Connolly, uh, took over the role of the teacher. We had a uh, great cast. Uh, we had Robin Givens, who at the time was uh, before and ever married to Mike Tyson. We used to show yeah. up a lot. And we went to Russia, it was, and it was a it was a fun show. Um, and they, I think, they're bringing it back on HBO. I think they are. There you go. Yeah, there that, you go. Yeah. The, the recycle everything in Hollywood. You oh, yeah. gotta love that. It's always about the stories and stuff. So, so uh, you, I think you have a couple different things you have in the works, book wise, right? You're not, you're just not working on the sequel for this one. No, I'm working on a, uh, yeah a sequel, and then uh, a little bit on the sequel. And then this, as I said, this thriller that takes place in Maui about a night dive where somebody disappears, and uh, and then uh, I have a just putting the finishing touches on another novel which is about a writer it's about me and i took all my stories of my uh life and uh, not all you know in hollywood and i turned it into a novel and i i fictionalized it so i could tell the truth and uh it it's uh kind of like maybe a nicer version because i'm a nicer guy and uh <laughs> <laughs> that Larry David. You're cleaning it up, giving it a little PR. Yeah, no, I'm, I am. That's sort of like, I'm not, I'm not an asshole. So, uh, uh, but it's about, and my character, uh, whose name is Bender, uh, and it's Bender's, Bender's Hollywood, and all his adventures with that I've been sharing with you, uh, mm -hmm. including, though, uh, playing tennis with Abby Hoffman, who's wanted by the FBI on a producer's uh, tennis court, uh, Getting stoned with uh, uh, Sterling Hayden uh, from uh, you know movie star, all kinds of st stuff like that. So, yeah. and and women and uh, stuff, you know. That's there you I'm go. Saying. There yeah. you go. Maybe you should do a book where you just go full asshole and just and just d skip the nice PR part and you just go full. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> oh, we always want to, and you know, I get, I'm at at the po a point in my life where. Uh, nobody can say to me, you'll never work in this town again because I don't care. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> so I get, a part of me can say whatever I want. You know, it's like, yeah. I, uh, it's, I don't, uh, I don't care and there's nothing you can do to me. So, yeah. and that's a certain kind of freedom. It doesn't mean I have to turn into an asshole, by the way. It just means uh, I don't have to, you know, watch my whatever. So, there you go. So on the book, you can go home now. Uh, would you like to direct it? Make it a movie yourself? I mean, be the I, director. I don't. I don't think so. I wouldn't mind writing the screenplay, but I think a woman should direct this movie because mm -hmm. it's about a woman. It's uh, women's shelter, women's issues, and there are so many uh, terrific women directors now that uh, you know. I think it. Re I'm going to say requires, but I think it would be really good if a, uh, if it was directed by a woman and. You know, then uh, there's a list of stars I'd love to see in it, mm -hmm. uh, from uh, Jennifer Lopez to uh, uh, Jennifer Garner to uh, yeah, this is a whole bunch. So, uh, and 
it's an interesting thing too that when you write a novel you i'm not saying i don't care but i did my my novel is it's there i wrote it you want to turn it into whatever you want to turn it into that's on you i can always say sorry here's the novel you know uh so I, Stephen I, King and just be like, that's not what I wrote. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, there's everything. He even The Shining, man. He says, that's that's not what I wrote. Yeah. Well, I don't think a movie is ever as good as the book. Like I, I've even great movies that I've loved. I've gone to the books, and I mean, there's just you, you can't. There's only so much you can fit in two hours or three for some movies these days. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. And and uh, we're kind of in an interesting age right now where you really can't go see movies. Um, yeah. Somebody, I mean, you want to go to, would you go to a movie theater and have somebody say, excuse me? No. Uh, and go by you, bumping your knee, maybe breathing into your popcorn? Yeah. It's just not going to happen. In fact, I think Stephen King, we were just talking about, or he, he just, he just uh, wrote that he went to a theater and there's like seven people in there. And he's <laughs> like, this is really bad. So. But, but they, on the other hand, you know, we have. I think the next thing is uh, we should, we have to start making bigger walls for ourselves so we can put up our 105 inch uh, television. Right? I mean, right now my television, I think it's about the same size as some of the when. Remember when uh, multiplexes started coming mm -hmm. out? You'd go into a room and be a screen which is the same size as my television screen now. So, uh, or maybe a little bigger. So you didn't have any sort of actress in mind when you wrote this then, huh? No. Okay. No. <laughs> uh, Jennifer Gardner would be good. She's played a cop and stuff. She's hot. Yeah. I, I could go for that. Uh, what about... Uh, I'll show you. See, writers keep lists. You see it? Oh, there you go. You got the list. Okay. I got the list. I got, uh, let's see, Margaret Roby, Scarlett Johansson. Natalie. Scarlett Johansson might be interesting. She's uh, she's kind of short, like this character is, maybe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and she she can be edgy. Yeah, Kieran Knightley, Brie Larson, Ju uh, Julie Julie Gardner. You know the one who was oh, in, uh, Ozark. You like Ozark? Mm -hmm. And then there's a list of directors. There so you go. Keep it up here. Keep it up there. There you go. Well, you go. You can. Go Home Now, a novel with Michael Elias. Anything more we should know, Michael, about the book and all that good stuff? Sexy. Uh, <laughs> that was there the interesting go. part, by the way, to write sex scenes from the point of view of a woman. Ah, there's sex scenes in here? All right, <laughs> I'm going to finish this book. Yeah. Sure. I'm just a little <laughs> in the beginning. The, uh, it, from a perspective of a woman, so did you have to do any research on that somehow? Uh, <laughs> well, the sex scene. No, what I what I did do is I wrote it. I, whatever I wrote, I I gave to my friends, to women, and my wife. Mm -hmm. I, again, I, did I get it right? Uh, oh. Is this uh, does this sound like a woman? And and by the way, in the beginning, I got to turn off my. Sorry, Hold no on. problem. Uh, by uh, I got my ass kicked a lot. Uh oh, oh yeah, they would say, "Are you kidding?" A woman wouldn't wear that. A woman wouldn't say that. A woman wouldn't do whatever. So I said, wow. thank, I said, thank you, thank you, because uh, I don't. I'd rather get it now, but rather than after it's published, because yeah. you, know, you can't take it back. Yeah, Just get torn up in the review. I thanked. I thanked them all. I thanked them all. Yeah. <laughs>
Well, check it out, guys. You can go home now. Novel My Michael Elias. You can find it on your bookshelves anywhere. And uh, give us your plugs, Michael, before we go out. Uh, my plugs, I would say uh, you're going to really enjoy this book. It's a page turner. It'll keep you up. You, it's short enough that you can read it in one sitting, maybe two. And uh, it's a serious it's a serious book about a couple of serious issues. And uh, and also, I have to say, it's sometimes, because I'm a comedy writer by background, it's pretty funny occasionally. So uh, it's I think it's enjoyable. And when you go to your Amazon, if you go to Amazon, you can read a lot of a lot of reviews from readers. Um, ignore the one bad one. I'm looking for who wrote it. I'm going to find her. And, uh, <laughs> that's it. So I think, uh, yeah, I think it's. A, and if you're in a book club, there's a lot of issues to discuss in this book. There you go. There you go. Okay? It's wonderful to have you on the show, Michael, and tell us all your great stories. Uh, I'll be interested to see the story, the next, the book that you do that has all the stories, but the names have been changed. Because then I'll yeah. be like, ah, I'll be trying to figure out who who the person was. <laughs> okay. okay, there it's you go. To talk to you. You really interesting to talk. Yeah, you know, it's like I just said, like a guy. I just sat down in the bar and we just talked. Thank you. Thank you. That's what we try and do. <laughs> so my audience, be sure to check out the book. Go to Amazon.com or your local book dealers. Uh, watch the video version of this on YouTube.com for just Chris Voss. Hit the bell notification button. Go to the CVPN. Hit close subscribe to online podcasts. Follow me on Goodreads.com for just Chris Voss. Thanks to my audience. Thanks to Michael for being here. We'll see you guys next time.